Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we help you discover innovative startups in the outdoor sport industry. Join us as we tell the story of brands who are paving the way for the future of outdoor sports. And here's your host, Josh Salvo. Hey, Ready Eddy Podcast listeners. Do you love skiing, snowboarding, climbing, hiking, camping, surfing, kayaking, or mountain biking? Did you know that there are thousands of new outdoor sports startups launching each year with incredible stories and products that are revolutionizing their sports? At Ready Yeti, we are a community of outdoor sport enthusiasts that love discovering new brands and supporting the ones that make innovative, quality products and that have a drive to give back. At ReadyEddy.com, we give away products every two weeks from your soon-to-be favorite outdoor sports startups. Check out ReadyEddy.com and become a part of our daily growing outdoor sports community and be among the first to discover tomorrow's outdoor sport brands. Hello and welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast. On today's episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with Peter Duke, who co-founded Smart Wool back in 1994 with his wife, Patty, which they went on to sell to their partners in 2003. After his no-compete expired in 2008, Peter got right back into the Merino Wool game by starting .6 Socks which he has been running from Steamboat Springs, Colorado ever since. Peter has an incredible story, and this is without a doubt one of my favorite interviews that I've done so far on the Ready Eddie podcast. So with that, let's just get right into it. Um, so Peter, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's always good to talk with you, Josh. Awesome. So right off the bat, for mm-hmm. those of you, for those who are listening who don't know Point Six that well, could you sort of Walk us through exactly what you guys do, what you offer, and how you're different from other, you know, sock companies out there. Okay. Well, uh, when I got back into the business, uh, I knew that we had to uh, outperform, uh, outproduce a uh, uh, our pre previous company of Smart World, where we recognized that we needed to uh, make a better product, and so. Uh, when we came back in, we started to do a lot of research. And so we recognized that uh, there were some issues or durability issues with uh, SmartWool. And I knew I had to uh, come out with a better product. So what we do, everything that we do, is uh, taking the development of a sock, as simple as a sock may be, but to take it to such a very high level that uh, when people put our product on their feet, they can absolutely recognize that it is superior. We do stuff where we, when we spin our yarns, we use a compact spinning method, which basically keeps the loose ends brought to the center of the yarn so that there's no fuzzies or pilling of the sock. That, of course, is a more costly product. Over the, uh, the toe closure, we, we have a, a seamless toe closure, which basically eliminates the sewing of that seam. Uh, that's another thing that we brought to market. Other companies are starting to follow us. We do deep heel pockets, uh, which allow for a better form fitting of the heel. All of these things uh, comp- uh, compiled together produce a much superior sock. And now we're, we're uh, moving forward with bringing some new technology uh, that will allow our socks to dry 39% faster than other merino wool socks. So we think that we're really on top of our game. Uh, we pro- uh, provide a really high quality, 
uh, very competitively priced sock and, and far superior to any other sock that's out there today. I think you bring up a great point and having a product so simple as a sock can have so many there's, there can be so much detail and such a big difference in what's offered out there. And I think that's, that's such an incredible thing. So how did you get into this business? How did you get into the outdoor industry? Well, I've always been in the outdoor industry. Um, before I started Smartwall, um, I was involved in skiing and I, um, I taught skiing. I was on a national team in skiing. I uh, ran different ski schools in the country. And uh, as I started to get on in my years, decided that uh, at the age of about 40 or so, it was time for me to uh, switch and do something different. So I just uh, always had a love for wool. I don't know why. I just always had a love for wool. And so my wife and I embarked on starting a, a, a ski hat company. And, uh, and started to learn that side of the business and started to learn about wool. And about two or three years into that project, we were in introduced to merino wool and how merino wool could be machine washed and dried. After learning about that, light bulbs just started to go off in my head. And we then launched Smart Wool. Started with socks um, and did base layers etc uh, etc et and so if you follow the history of smart wool that was us doing it so now we we've just come come back to make uh, a far superior products to what we did during our smart wool days that's how i got into it that's great so what exactly to someone who doesn't really know what merino wool is what exactly is it and how is it different than other <laughs> that's kinds of wool? Question. yeah there, you know um there are over 100 different breeds of sheep out there. And there are uh, breeds of sheep that will produce carpet wool. There are other types of breeds. And so Merino was a crossbred animal that dates back, goodness gracious, to 400 BC, I want to say, or AD, I, I don't remember. Uh, and it was out of Spain. And what it basically did was... Uh, created a long, silky fiber, wool fiber. And from Spain, it uh, gravitated to Australia, then to New Zealand and around the country. So Merino is an actually a particular breed of, uh, of sheep, uh, which basically produces a long, silky, straight, soft fiber. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, no, it's crazy how much actually is behind wool and all the different types someone who just has no idea <laughs> well yeah and and even with that josh you know it's uh once you get into that aspect of it it then becomes an art form there are so many different aspects of producing a great quality wool. i can give you merino wool sock i can guarantee it a lich it's all how you spec the wool out from there how you get rid of the itchy wool keep the good stuff it goes on and on and on. And I can tell you that all of our competitors have no idea on how to do this as we do. Because uh, my, my, my uh, life is based around taking something and developing it and making it the best one can really make it. So our, our product is, is so superior, it's unbelievable. So 
I can guarantee you that this stuff will not itch, not pill, not wear out, and just be in your drawer for a, a, a lifetime. And un, what happens um, in most sock drawers, people actually have to throw the socks out because they just want to buy new ones. Yeah. And that's how long the, these socks will last. And I've been told by our retailers, goodness gracious, you know, can't they wear out so they'll buy more? <laughs> That's great. That's great. And all, all of your, um, the wool you source is from New Zealand, correct? That's correct. I have a, uh, a, um, a relationship. This was something that uh, I had in my mind back during my smart wool days where I wanted to go direct with, to the farmers. Uh, and you can identify this kind of as like a sustainability story. Um, I believe in going direct to the farmers, working with the farmers directly, being able to um, follow that supply chain so that we can assure that uh, the product that we're receiving, there's care for the animals, that the product itself is quite good, that the farmers themselves get a fair price for their product. A lot of other companies uh, will beat these farmers up to where they don't get a good price. So I work directly with the farmers and then uh, through the supply chain, uh, we can attest that this product, where it came from, uh, almost to the animal that, that gave us the wool. Uh, so we have a direct relationship with New Zealand and the farmers down there. And uh, we uh, do not go anywhere else because I believe that the New Zealand wool, merino wool, is by far the most superior out there. That's really interesting. So... You, you've touched on this a little bit, but walking through the sort of the process, even back to the smart wool days, how did you guys develop your product? What testing went into it? You know, how many designs, iterations, prototypes, all of that went into sort of getting you where you are now with Point Six? You know, it's <laughs> uh, pretty much I, I um, just started back in smart wool days. Just started with merino wool. Uh, there wasn't much. Um, design really developed back then it was uh wool when we introduced wool to the outdoor market the outdoor market was very much in favor of synthetics nylons and right. polyesters so our first job was to convince people that wool was a superior product hence uh we came out with smart wool as time went on, and uh, this rocket ship that we were on with smart wool, uh, we realized that the consumer wanted to start getting into uh, colors, uh, designs, and stuff like that. And that's when I got out of the uh, smart wool deal. But I knew then that that was going to create a problem of wearing out holes in the bottom of your, right. your socks, etc., so when we came back, those are things that I wanted to address. But back in those days, design back in 2002, 2003 was starting to be requested of us. And so that's, that's where the design phase started to come in. So now with Point Six, uh, we have a design team, which is actually led by my wife. And um, we have all sorts of colors, designs, etc. And... We just learned how to overcome the durability issues. So that's what we did. That's great. That's great. So you guys are based at a Steamboat Springs, Colorado, correct? That's correct, yes. So where are you originally from? What 
How did you get to Colorado? <laughs> you know, someone someone might just say a series of bad breaks. <laughs> but uh, as I mentioned to you, I grew up in the Catskill Mountains. And um, once I was uh, old enough and uh, got kicked out of the house, um, I moved up to Vermont and started my uh, uh, career in the ski business and uh, taught skiing in Stowe, Vermont. Oh, good then uh, I became, I moved up the ladder, became an examiner, teach instructors how to teach. And then I made a national team uh, that re- uh, was one of 10 people representing the U.S. at an international ski congress where you exchange ski teaching methods. So that kind of was a real wonderful feather in my cap. And then I went on to directing the ski school at Killington and then from there out to Heavenly Valley and Lake Tahoe. This is a long roundabout way how we finally got to uh, Steamboat. And after my tenure at uh, Heavenly Valley, uh, my wife and I decided and always wanted to live in Colorado. And so we settled in Steamboat because it was a nice family town. And that's how we got here. And I believe we got here in 1985, I believe, 86, somewhere in there, and been here since. That's awesome. I feel like so many people, the progression, especially if you're an East Coaster, it's move to New Hampshire or Vermont, then look out west, and then move either to the Tahoe Valley, the, like Jackson yeah. Hole, Colorado, or Utah, <laughs> sometimes yeah. the Pacific Northwest. It's such, yeah. it's funny. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, I, I, the same thing happened to me. You know, I, uh, when you live up in Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, yeah. uh, during those winters, boy, uh, at least back when I was living there, uh, the winters could be brutal. Oh, yeah. Cold. Oh, God. <laughs> and uh, and so when, when luck came to me and we moved to Tahoe, I, might, I went, my God, <laughs> living in Tahoe, you can live uh, ski in the middle of January in a sweater. You're right. And long underwear was not part of your wardrobe and, a, you know, heavy gloves were not and a hat was not part of your your, your, your wardrobe because it was so nice yeah. and so the dry air during the winter I mean it still gets 30 below out here but it's so dry it's not a biting cold yeah. and so I think that's why a lot of people are gravitating out here just a whole bunch of people are moving from east to Colorado as you say to the Tetons or further west to the Tahoe area yeah, no, there's nothing like the bitter cold of the Northeast. The coldest day skiing I ever experienced was actually at Stowe. It was, uh-huh. it was recorded at negative 60, uh, 59 degrees with the wind chill. It was yes. miserable. <laughs> I, I, I actually, um, I was there once, and I was working there. This was back in the early 70s. And, um, and so they had to close Mount Mansfield down because the wind chill factor uh, was somewhere at the 165 below. Oh, man. That's... It was bitter, bitter, bitter cold. Yeah, I mean, Mount oh. Mansfield gets cold just being well, the highest peak in Vermont. Just like just yeah. gets berated with wind. Yeah, because, you know, uh, Mansfield is the first mountains that the, yeah. uh, the winds hit. Exactly. Because of Mansfield all the way back to the... Um, Oh, goodness, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of New York, uh, the, the Adirondacks. The Adirondacks, yeah. It's just flat. Yeah. And so the winds just start to blow right through the uh, Champlain Valley and then hit uh, Mansfield. Yeah, when you take the forerunner up the Mount Mansfield quad, uh, yeah. it, right right over that ridge when you're coming up next to Goat, it's just like the wind just whacks you. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know if they still do this at Mansfield, but they used to have these uh, poncho blankets. They were horse blankets, and you would just kind of throw them over the top of your head, and there was a hole at the top, so you'd have the poncho going down your back and the poncho in your front, okay? <laughs> yeah. And you always put one on going up the, the Mansfield chair. And we never t- when, when pe- the locals would never say it's 35 below or 50 below. We would ask, how many blanket day is it? <laughs> <laughs> And when you heard five blankets, you knew it was really cold. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, I've been skiing. Stowe was one of the first mountains I ever skied at when I was a kid. And, yeah, I've never, I've, they never had the blankets. <laughs> That's great. Well, though. they had them back then. And uh, five blankets, you'd actually put three over your, your body, then one wrapped around your head and one wrapped around your knees. <laughs> Man, that's nuts. <laughs> it is nuts. <laughs> so... You obviously have had a very successful career with Smart Wool and Point Six. Along the lines, you must have had mentors. Who are they and what have they done for you and how have they really set you up to be as successful as you are? Wow. Um, mentors in the business world? It could be business, personal. I mean, they all sort of come together. Well, um, God, that's that's one to think about. I. Uh, in the business world, I could say I never really had a mentor. Um, uh, I could say that uh, in my uh, directing of ski schools, I, I learned the business aspect of what you had, had to do. Uh, I could say that I had a lot of people that I came in contact with and I learned from them, but I never really had anyone watching over me, if, if you would. I did have a mentor in skiing um, who took me under his wings and helped me uh, develop my skiing skills, uh, but that's about it. And his name was Cal Cantrell. Awesome. Well, was that in the Northeast or out West? No, back East. Back he, east. he actually uh, was a well-known uh, individual in the ski world. Okay, and uh, and and it turns out uh, that he uh, lived about oh seven eight miles from my home where I grew up, and he oh, wow. took a liking to me when I was sixteen years old, and he put me under his wing, and he he actually got me going in the ski world. So I would say that he was my mentor, but I didn't have uh, in the business world. I never really had anyone teaching me the ropes. That's really interesting. So. You've touched on this a, l- a little bit earlier, um, but what is the com- what is Point Six commitment to sustainability, sustainable manufacturing? Uh, our commitment is to uh, be clean as we possibly can to the planet, so that everything that we do uh, has a less of an impact on how we treat our planet and how we care for it. So things that we do uh, to make, to make um, wool machine wash and machine dry, there is this process called superwashing. Right. Superwashing uses chlorine. And uh, for years, they have been trying to come up with a process that eliminates chlorine. And we've been watching that closely. Well, we're going to be introducing a chlorine-free process starting in January where it uses plasma. 
it's one of those things that what we do to help the planet. We are very much involved in the conservancy end of things, where we give uh, product, monies, what have you, to preserving our uh, national forests so that people can enjoy them. Um, goodness gracious, uh, the recycling things that we do. Um, it, it's endless. I, I'd have to just sit back and think about it, but everything that we do is, is uh, we're very conscious of that so that um, we don't um, contaminate our planet. That's about as best that I could say. So um, we try to be very uh, mindful of that. Without a doubt. I think um, talking about machine washing with chlorine, there are so many people, just consumers, that don't even know that, that that's an aspect of the business and that being able to remove that can help in such a great way. Um, so I, I think that's interesting um, in itself. Um, yes. What, what would you say, what kind of culture exists in your organization? I know you, you have 12, currently 12 employees. You're based in Colorado Springs. I saw on your website. I, I'm, in, I'm in Steamboat Springs. Steamboat Springs, sorry. <laughs> Steamboat Springs. Um, you guys have a number of dogs that are around the office, I, I believe. Um, so tell me, what is it like, you know, in, in uh, an average day at point six? Well, our dogs, are, uh, uh, anyone who owns a dog will bring their dog to work, <laughs> and mine included. And uh, so it's a pretty relaxed uh, environment. Uh, we're all outdoor people. I think that uh, people who live in Steamboat uh, genuinely are outdoor people. So we're very... Uh, aware of trying to make sure that the work environment allows people to enjoy the outdoors. So there are days, uh, specifically during the winter, when we have one of those powder days where um, all of a sudden no one's in the office (laughs) (laughs) out skiing. You know, those are things that we allow. We're We're very open to people taking days off so that they can uh, accommodate their other interests in life. So one of the uh, women that work for, works for us, um, she just uh, returned from Tahoe because she wanted to go to a, uh, a, a, I think, I'm not sure how long the race was, but a marathon right. that she enjoys participating in. So the, the, the culture is uh, obviously friendly. Um, obviously, they were all targeting to be outside. A lot of us cycle, run, ski, hike, everybody's outdoor people. We've got some very avid fly fishermen here as well. So um, we're just outdoors people. So that's that's the culture, to be able to enjoy work, have fun at work, and enjoy the outdoors. That's awesome. I think that's really important in a business, being able to sort of create that community and family because you spend so much time together. Like, Why not enjoy the people that you work with and sort of the culture that exists around your business? Exactly, exactly. What would so. you, what would you say has been one of the hardest parts about starting Point Six or even back to um, Smart Wool? Well, um, well, Smart Wool. The challenges I had there were initially in the very early stages was trying to get. Uh, uh, some funding, some people to throw in ten or fifteen thousand bucks. 
and I think I, 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 earned, I got about 50, 60 grand to be invested in it, and that was all I needed. Um, my challenge now in point six is uh, that I created a, an 800-pound gorilla, which is Smartwool, and the challenge is trying to get market share back from them. That's probably <laughs> my biggest challenge. So that's, that's we, what we deal with almost on a daily basis is trying to get that market share. So what are you guys doing to sort of try and capture, recapture that? Well, one of the things is to create a, a, a superior product, which right. we have. And now uh, our next step is to differentiate ourselves from the pack of other merino wool sock companies out there where we're introducing uh, new technology. This, this technology is called 37.5, and it comes from a company called Kokona. And, and this technology is, um, is uh, actually it's, it's ground-up lava rock. And it becomes a powder form. And we've spent two and a half years in developing a way to take this, this powder form and to, uh, to have it embedded into the nylon. All socks need nylon to create the foundation of how you knit your socks. Everyone. Right. So what we have been able to do is take away the conventional nylon that everyone else is using and what we have been using and to embed now this nylon with this 37.5 technology. And so now we will be knitting with this new 37.5 technology. So now not only does the wool absorb and evaporate the moisture, now the nylon aids in that and absorbs the moisture as well and evaporates it. So now you have the entire sock, all fibers in the sock, evaporating this moisture, and that's why it's 39% faster. So it's taken us two and a half years to develop this, and we finally perfected it maybe two or three months ago. So we had a soft launch at the OR show this past summer, and now we'll have a hard launch this coming January. And that's how we're going to differentiate ourselves with better product, better service, and uh, hopefully friendlier people. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Prototyping takes some time without a doubt. Oh, it does it ever. It, and expensive. Oh, yeah. Way more yeah. than you ever think it could be. <laughs> Always, yeah. What would you say are some of the biggest mistakes you've made? Wow. Um, probably I have a naivety to... Um, people. I trust people. I believe in people. I take them for their word. And I think that that has um, put me at a disadvantage. There are a lot of people out there where I get involved with uh, from a financial perspective who uh, talk out of one side of their mouth and out of the other side of their mouth they're plotting to do certain things to us. So th that's actually uh, what happened to me at Smart. Well, I had some investors that um, were perhaps not as forthright as I had thought they were. So that's pretty much my my Achilles heel, I, I think. <laughs> it also can be a strength. <laughs> I, I hope so because I still trust in people, uh, even the things that have happened to me in the past and trusting people. 
uh, I still put my faith in people. So um, it's who I am, and that's how I'll live my life. So I think that's a great way to do it. Yeah. What advice would you give to someone that wanted to start a business in the outdoor industry? Whoa. Um, Look at your competition. See, is it an opportunity where uh, you're introducing some something that's new and innovative? I would say that that is probably your best entry into the outdoor world. Uh, if you're going to come in with a, a product uh, that already exists in the outdoor world, and there are a load of com- competitors out there, um, if you do not have experience or a mentor, as you were talking about earlier, I would suggest you find someone and spend the time to do the research on how you bring your product to market. Find out what uh, opportunities uh, the other companies are not um, uh, looking at or or trying to talk to, uh, to see if that's an opportunity to find your way in, and to make sure that you are well-funded. If you need uh, $2 to, um, if you think you need 2 bucks to get into the business, make sure you get 4 bucks. <laughs> always, always double it because there are a lot of bumps and hiccups as you go down the road. Oh, and yeah. that's my advice. Find someone who can mentor you. Without a doubt. You're so right yeah. in terms of raising capital. Everyone I've ever, all the founders I've ever interviewed, they're always like, Whatever you think you need, double it or maybe even triple it because it's never enough. Tripling is even better. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So you, your organization has 12 members. What, yes. what do you do on a what – is, what, is sort of, what is your role in the company now as opposed to what it was when you first started? Or is it the well, same? You, you mean in, in point six versus Smartwool? Yeah. Yeah, well, Smartwool, when I started it, I put on every hat during the day. I was uh, manufacturing. I would put on my accounting hat, which I'm not good at. <laughs> <laughs> uh, put on my sales hat, which I'm probably worse at. Uh, put on my marketing hat. And then uh, once a week, my wife and I would go down to the local warehouse that we had here, and we put on our shipping hat, and we would ship everything. So we did everything. Um, so that's what life was for me starting Smartwool. Point six, uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to bring some people in and help uh, fill those gaps because uh, it, it, it does take a lot of time and wear on your body to do all of those things. So um, during the course of basically the six years uh, period that we've been involved with Point Six, uh, we... It has taken us a period of time to uh, come up with the team that we have right now. And we're very fortunate to have the team that we have. I've got some people that are really experts in their fields. And, uh, and I'm lucky. Uh, one, one individual, um, uh, Drew Williams, who came to us uh, a couple, two, three years ago, uh, his MBA is in sustainability. Oh, perfect. So... Uh, we are a very sustainable company, I can tell you that. Uh, so uh, we're just very fortunate in the people that have uh, finally gravitated to us. And uh, people have come, people have gone. Uh, but at the end of the day, as we speak, uh, we have a really nice, wonderful, cohesive group of people. 
That's great. Yeah, I mean, I I totally know what you mean when you when you say wearing all the hats when you first start a business. Like for yeah. anyone, like before I started Red Yeti, like everyone always told me it's going to be the hardest thing you'll ever do <laughs> starting yeah. a business. And now that I've gone through it, I'm like, you're right. <laughs> it's yeah. without a doubt the hardest thing you'll because you have to do the things you're bad at in the beginning, like accounting or marketing or yeah. whatever it is. And because you can't you can't hire someone in the beginning unless of course you raise money, which is totally a way to, to do the business. But if you're bootstrapping it like I'm do like we we're doing, yeah. you know, it's yeah. so challenging. It's so challenging. But you know, it really develops your skills beyond your imagination. Oh yeah. Because because you're, it's you. It's it, your back is up against the wall, and either you have the the, the strength to do it, or or you don't. And uh, and that's how we did Smartwall, and uh, we bootstrapped it. And um, it's the best way to go. It's the best way to learn, because as you develop your business, uh, if you don't know how all components of your business operate. If you don't know how the accounting system works, if you don't know how the shipping system works, or the production, the manufacturing, the sales, the marketing, if you don't have an involvement in all of those phases, then you can't run your business because you don't know what's going on. So I think that that's a, a very important component. So going back to your earlier question about, you know, how do you start a business? I think bootstrapping a business is, is really wonderful because it teaches you a great deal. Even when you come out of college, if you have some sort of a, a business background that you learned out of school, you know, it, you still have to learn. You know, it, it, you're just coming out of school with just book knowledge, but um, street knowledge is something that you've got to develop and learn. So I, I, I commend you for that. You are so, so right. So right. Street be, having real world experience and not, you know, just reading a book and hearing what someone said, be like, okay, that's how it is. Actually going through it and realizing that there isn't technically a right answer. That's right. And it's not in the back of the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't find it in the dictionary. Nope. Nope. Exactly. It's a lot of, well, let's see if this works. If it doesn't, well, okay, that didn't work. So we'll replace that with this piece and then maybe now it will work. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's great. So you mentioned that you work with your your wife, Patty. What has that yes. been like? Uh, so you, you with both SmartWool and Point Six. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, husband and wife teams are not easy, um, and uh, I, I and I'm not going to say that it's uh, very easy for us. You know, we've had our challenges, and especially bringing up our children. Uh, to be able to turn off business and take and pay attention to the kids, uh, and so it, it, it uh, provides its challenges, but it also provides its um, rewards as well. So, you know, uh, for my wife and I, it's uh, it's been a wonderful uh, journey for both of us. We've we've enjoyed the uh, the journey, the adventure, the development of the businesses, and um, we both have a great deal to say about where we go next so uh, she's she's a very creative person so she does the designs and the the catalogs and the colorations and all of that sort of stuff and she she has this she has the more glamorous side of the business <laughs> <laughs> that's great how many children do you guys have 
Oh, we have two children and two grandchildren. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. That's yeah, our children. My, my kids are growing up. They're... <laughs> I'm an old guy <laughs> with, with, with a, young, a young spirit. Uh, age is just a number, as my dad always tells That's me. That's exactly right. It's just a number. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't really. That's great. Um, okay, so where do you see point six going in the next year, five years, ten years? Well, I do believe that uh, we will uh, become a, a strong competitor, competitor in the outdoor industry. Uh, I think that as we uh, develop our line, become better known to the consumers, uh, that uh, we will continue to pursue the same path that we did at SmartWolf. We see base layers coming out. We see gloves coming out. We see mid layers, etc., etc., all out of Merino. The only difference is we will make it better than our competitors. We really want to be known for the quality and to making sure that you have value and when you make a purchase. When you're buying a sock for twenty, twenty-five dollars, uh, as an example, you, you you don't want to think to fall apart in two or three months. Right. So I, I want to make sure that our customers, our consumer base, uh, when they make a purchase, they have the 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 good feeling that they're buying a value one that's going to last, they can trust and depend upon. And that's who we are. And that's, that's how we're driven. I think that's very important. Are you yeah. guys going, eventually going to expand past socks into other areas? Or? Oh, yeah, yeah. Base layer gloves, as I was mentioning. In fact, uh, we're now developing gloves. And um, we should probably have it to market, not this winter, but the following winter. So, yeah, we will continue to develop new products, absolutely. Just goes to show how long prototyping takes. <laughs> it just takes time. And, and then once you, get, once you get the samples correct, then you've got to make samples for your salespeople. You've got to get in the catalog. It's, it's, it's a, it, it takes years to bring something to market. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah. What, yeah. Would, what would you say is the best part about running Point Six? The best part is... Um, the fun of being around people, I just, I just enjoy being uh, able to rub elbows with people that I know in the outdoor business. Um, I just enjoy watching other people having success as well. Um, I just enjoy being around people. So this, this is kind of like a, 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 a platform for me to be able to go to trade shows and be around my old constituents, my friends, my colleagues. And it continues to allow me to be involved in uh, the actual skiing uh, phase of it. I still have a lot of uh, friends out there, colleagues, past teammates that are actively involved. And uh, so it's, uh, it's just an avenue to allow me not to grow old. How's that? <laughs> so I follow your, your dad's uh, advice that it's just a number. And so it allows me to stay active, which I think is very important. So I enjoy that. You're so right. You're so right. I, uh, I ask, people ask my dad all the time because he's, he's 69. He's almost 70. And, um, he's a young, he's young, he's young, he's, young. 
but he, he still works full time, not because he yeah. has to, but because he wants to. He enjoys yes. and loves what he does. And people always yes. ask, like, so when are you going to retire? He's like, you know what retirement actually means? It means put out to pasture. <laughs> That's exactly right. And he's just like, I will never retire. <laughs> yeah, not like enjoying eating the grass either. Exactly. So, exactly. Yes. Yeah, so you got to keep your, your, your mind active, you got to keep yourself engaged. And, uh, and that's why I, I started Point Six. I just wanted to be engaged. That's great. I, it's the same reason why we, I started Ready Eddie. Like you were saying, just meeting people in the outdoor world. Yeah. Yeah. I've met so many people doing this and now have connections all over the world as a result of it, which, in, like you said, is so, it's one of the most important things to me, being able to build quality relationships. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that that wraps up sort of the uh, the interview okay. questions. Is there anything um, else you would like to say to our audience? Where can people find you and learn more about Point Six? Well, they certainly go can go to our website, uh, uh, Point Six dot com, www point six dot com, <laughs> um, and learn more about us. Um, we we uh, you know that's that's an avenue for people to learn who we are. Uh, we're constantly updating our website, and um, and in so doing, we uh, will be putting on more and more videos on our website to tell people about who we are, our sustainability. Um, also, going to our website, you could see where to purchase. But on the same hand, um, you know, if you if anyone wants to contact us, uh, we'll be more than happy to chat with people to. For them to learn more about our product and why we feel our product is better, so I, I think that would be uh, the best way to answer that question. Perfect, Peter. Well, I thank you for taking the time to chat with me. You're very welcome, Josh. It's a, it's a pleasure to chat with you, and hope we'll see you at the next uh, trade show. Without a doubt. Okay, sir. Hey, Ready Eddie podcast listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, then I would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Eddie podcast. I'll catch you next week.